Good evening. Good evening. Everyone okay so far? <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> so far, so good. Right, well, um, tonight um, I'm going to share about a character that maybe isn't the greatest of characters to do a sermon on. But I'm going to. <laughs> and um, I've got a title for this message tonight, and it's one that maybe sounds like a bit of a contradiction, but as we come to the outcome of the story, it will all make sense. It's a story about a king, and this king is King Ahab, but I also <coughs> called it a lesson in grace. King Ahab, a lesson in grace. Some of you, I'm sure, will know something about King Ahab and his wife, Jezebel. Ahab was the seventh king of Israel, and he reigned 22 <coughs> years in Israel. And for probably nearly every day of that reign, you would say that Ahab was not really a nice character. So I'm going to read, to begin with, the introduction to him that the Bible gives us. And this is just him entering the story. So this is 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29. It says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab the son of Omri became king over Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat. That he took his wife Jezebel the daughter of Ethbaal king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. And then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Heel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundations with Aram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub. Some great names here. <laughs> He set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. So that is your introduction to Ahab. Ahab is more evil than any king that has gone before. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord to anger than anyone who had gone before. He was the most evil king that Israel had ever seen. You can see it's going to be a cheery sermon tonight. <laughs> you would probably put Ahab in the same category as people like Hitler or Stalin or Bin Laden. He, he would be in that category of leader. And yet in the Bible he's the fourth most talked about king. So there's a lot to say about him. And of course, he's around at the same time as a great character that we've heard about tonight called Elijah. Elijah, the prophet of the Lord. So we've got this evil king. We've got Elijah, the prophet. And what we're going to discover in this story is 
that they didn't really have a great relationship, as you could imagine. There was a bit of conflict there. Because Elijah spoke for God and spoke the truth of God and spoke the purpose of God. But Ahab was here leading the people of God, yet building temples for Baal, introducing Baal worship, and even got a wife called Jezebel, and we know all about her, don't we? You know, we still use that term today for some sort of ladies. They're right, Jezebels. This was Ahab. This was the king. This was the one ruling the nation. And this was the world into which Elijah stood. And Elijah proclaimed a drought. And Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal. And Elijah stood against all that Ahab stood for. And of course that great chapter, chapter 18, that amazing incident where he stands against the prophets, one against all of these hundreds. You know, it's not great numbers there when you're on your own against all of these enemies, but here they are up the mountain, and Elijah's kind, he lets them go first in this challenge. I'm sure Baal's going to listen to you. You go first. So they start calling down the fire. And they get really frantic because they've got to start slashing themselves. And I love Elijah's response in this. Maybe he's resting. <laughs> he's having a break. I think some versions even say maybe he's gone to the toilet. <laughs> you know, Baal is not listening to his own prophets. The prophets of which Ahab has put in place. The great gods to which Ahab is looking to. But when Elijah stands up, he even douses his altar with water. You know, he even wants even more odds against him, but his confidence is in God. And of course we know the story, a story which I remember even from Sunday school days when I was there. That great call when he called upon the Lord, the Lord answered by fire. This altar was engulfed in flames and the people around were going, the Lord he is God, the Lord he is God. Now you would think Ahab would be pretty impressed with that. Because not only has this God answered Elijah to say, rain stop and the rain stop. Not only has he witnessed his prophets being defeated up this mountain. Not only has he seen people bowing down on the ground going, the Lord he is God. But following the story through, then by the word of Elijah the rains return. You would think Ahab would be pretty impressed with this. But Ahab remained evil. Ahab's heart was still determined to go against the things of God. And there's one particular account that is here in the scriptures that really brings this to a head. And it's found in 1 Kings chapter 21. And it's a story about a man who's got a vineyard. And this man is called Naboth. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel. And it was next to the palace of Ahab the king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden. 
because it is near next to my house. And for it I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. Now you would think Ahab as a king would have enough. You know, after all, he's in charge of the throne. He's got the palace. And I'm sure already his gardens are pretty big. He's got allotments upon allotments. He's got workers out there. He's got everything that a king would need. But he goes out and he looks one day and he sees a vineyard. And this vineyard is right near to his palace. Now what strikes me is, if you see a nice vineyard, I wouldn't think to myself, let's make a vegetable garden there. (laughs) Surely you would think, nice vineyard, grapes, wine, fantastic. But he looks at that and he thinks, there's a bit of land that I haven't got. I want it. Greed's a funny thing, isn't it? You know, you can have so much and yet you can still want more. And Ahab is like that. He's got all that he could desire. Probably more land than he could ever walk in. But he looks at this vineyard and he says, I want that vineyard to grow my vegetables. So he goes down with a pretty good offer. You know, you imagine if you've got a vineyard and the king comes up to you and he says, I will offer you a bigger, better vineyard from the one you've got already. It already sounds like a good offer, doesn't it? Something bigger for what you've got now. But not only that, he thinks if he's not happy with that, I'll offer him money for this land. Now, if you were Naboth, you would think he's the king, he will give me the best asking price for this land. So I'll up it a little bit as well. I will ask the full value and even more. I'm going to be in pocket from this situation. So this is not a bad offer. But what we find is, Naboth says no. Now why does he say no? We need to go back in history a little way to know why. When Joshua and the people of God invaded the land, that the Lord gave to them as their inheritance, When they finally won this land, it was divided into 12 amongst the 12 tribes, the 12 (laughs) tribes of Israel. And within these 12 tribes of Israel, the land was then divided amongst the families. So this land became your inheritance. It was yours. So the first person who gained that land, it was now his by name, and he could then pass it down to his children and his children's children, and it would be his land forever. Now there may have been times when they struggled in the land. And the word of God says that they can actually at those times lend out the land or rent their land. But every 50th year, the year of Jubilee, the land would come right back to that family again. So it was a promise of God forever that this land will always be your land. 
It's always going to be your inheritance. So for Naboth, this land meant more than money. It meant more than a bigger plot of land. This was what God had given him. It was his spiritual inheritance. You know, there are times that I watch some of these antique programs that are on. I know you all love them in the afternoons, don't you? They've all replaced the cookery programs now. We've got antiques programs. And I look sometimes and I think, what a load of junk. You know, they've got these bits of junk, they bring them along, and then they put them up for value, and all of a sudden they're in the thousands, and you think, that's something I would just throw in the bin. And you know, people have got things like that in their attics, in their homes. They're almost priceless. But to these people, it's more than price. These things that have been handed down by grandmothers and and by grandfathers and family, something that's been in the family forever, they're more precious than money. And if I offered X amount, they would never sell. Because the value of that thing is more than the value of money and property. This was Naboth's land. He would not sell. So Ahab was rejected. How would he take this rejection? He's a king. He's grown up. He's a man. So Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and he turned away his face and he would eat no food. (laughs) This is one of the best drops that you will ever see. Of course, I don't know what strops are. (laughs) There is one instance from our holiday where Hanson keeps saying there was a strop that was diverted um, when I thought we were not going to get a pancake on pancake day. (laughs) But we were rescued and I had my pancake and it was a strop diverted. (laughs) But in this instance, this was not a diverted strop. The king of the nation. Oh, sorry. The king of the nation. He went into his home. He laid on his bed and he would kick it. Oh, I want that bit of land. I'm not going to eat. He was pretty upset. And so into this strop walked Jezebel. Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said... Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you that vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, You now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Ooh, Jezebel's got a plan. You know, this is the wife that Ahab chose. What a wife to have. When he's stropping, she's got a plan. And it wasn't a very nice plan. 
She wrote letters to Ahab, in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, sent letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. She wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honour among the people and see two men, scoundrels, that are before him to bear witness. And this witness will be against him saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. Oh, this is harsh stuff. She's concocted a plan where they're going to get some scoundrels. She's going to pay them off to come into this great banquet that they're putting on with Naboth at the head of the table. And these two scoundrels are going to make up lies about this man. Saying that he blasphemed God and the king. And you see, back here in Bible days, blasphemy was treated in a very strict way. It's not like today where you can put your dramas on and blasphemy comes into your room all the time. When they blasphemed God, according to the law of God, the punishment was stoning. So when these two scoundrels come in and they're sitting here, the fast is proclaimed, the two men begin making up these stories and they must have been so convincing because everyone else around the table gets so stirred against Naboth that they take him outside, they stone him and he died. It's a pretty dark story, isn't it? Are you all feeling cheery? (laughs) It came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but he's dead. So it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up, oh, now he'll get up. He got up, went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Now he's happy. He's got what he wanted. He's the spoiled child who's now got the toy in his hand. Well, you see him around Asda all the time. You know, you see him go down one aisle. The next minute they've got chocolate and sweets and toys hanging from every branch of their bodies. We've got what we want. That's exactly what Ahab has got. He's got what he wants. He's got this vineyard. But there's still a man called Elijah around. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite and it said, Arise, go down to meet Ahab the king of Israel who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth where he has gone down to take possession of it. You'll speak to him saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? Oh, see, God knows. You know, nobody else apart from Ahab or Jezebel know this. But now the prophet does. Have you murdered and taken possession? Here's the messy bit. You shall speak to him and say, Thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. Messy. So Ahab said to Elijah, he now walks in, Have you found me, O my enemy? You see, there's history here between these two. Because every time that Elijah turns up, it's bad news for Ahab. It's one of those situations where all of a sudden you know that you know that you know really this person's speaking something of truth because it hurts. And when that hurts, 
you get all defensive and you don't really want to hear the truth because you want to keep on living the way you're living. You want to keep on making decisions that you're deciding about. You want to keep on doing your own thing, grabbing your own vineyards, being the king in the way you want to be king. You don't want some God person telling you there's another way. Telling the truth about who you are. Have you found me, oh my enemy? And he answered, I found you. Because you've sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, the Lord says, I'll bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity. I will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Bashar, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. Ahab has provoked God to anger. He's provoked him. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, the dogs will eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. And there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And he behaved abominably in following idols, according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He's abominable. You know, these are harsh words, aren't they? This is not a nice man. Have you got that conclusion now? You know, I'm trying to make him out as who he is. He's not a very nice man. You're probably all sitting there now going, where's the grace in this story? Well, it's this next verse where it begins. And do you know what? It's an uncomfortable grace. Because surely, we now, as the observers of this story, we wouldn't want God to forgive anyone like that. We wouldn't want God to step into this story, because after all, we've heard the punishment now. Yay! Go on! Do it, God! (laughs) You know, that, that can, you know, I always remember in college one day we were talking about the grace of God and about forgiveness. And the lecturer, William Kay, he said, what would happen if Hitler had asked for forgiveness on his deathbed? Who, oh, if he did, there were people in the class who were, oh, there is no way that God would ever forgive him. No way is he ever going to be in heaven. And I'm sure we would all say, amen in some ways to that. The thought of it horrifies us. That people so evil might finally actually get through the gate. This is the reaction in Ahab to this word from God. So it was when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and he put sackcloth on his body. And he fasted and he lay in the sackcloth and he went about mourning. Now you might wonder what is all this about? What is the sackcloth? What is Ahab doing? These are signs of repentance. They are signs of humility. You see, a king who wears royal robes doesn't like to put on sackcloth or burlap as another translation says. Rough 
skin-like material which is a sign of humility and humbleness and a declaration of, I am sorry, I've messed up. There is something of a genuine repentance going on here. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was there and I then get this next message from God and I'm Elijah, I'd be thinking, are you sure, God? Because we know what he's done, God. He's a murderer. He's brought Baal worship into this place. He's against you. He's led all of these people astray. He's not a nice guy. You've said it yourself. He's the worst king who's ever been. He's the nastiest ruler. He's sinned more than anybody else. And all of a sudden, God says, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. What did John Newton say? It's an amazing grace Mm -hmm. that saves a wretch like me. Godfrey Bertel, who's a modern songwriter, he says this grace is outrageous. (laughs) It's simply outrageous. This man deserved... If he was punished like we read, we would all look at the end of the story and go, he deserved that. But God relented to a man like Ahab. Why am I sharing this tonight? You know, the incredible thing is, there are some of us who believe that God may never forgive us. And that we fall too far short of where God would ever want us to be. I remember a conference, a youth conference, many, many years ago, where a man stood up and he sort of had a marker point and, and his marker was, this is where God is and he named some people. He said, how close are these people to God? And he said, you know, Mother Teresa and of course you would put her quite close to God and Cliff Richard, I think he named back in the day. <laughs> and he was a little bit further behind Mother Teresa. And then he would say, where are you on this picture? And of course, you know, we put ourselves a bit further back. We, we, we're not quite as there with Cliff yet, and definitely not with Mother Teresa. You know, we're, we're not on the chart there, but we're somewhere here. And his message was, God draws us all near. That no one is any further than anybody from God. And I thought about that the other way round, about evil. You know, we've got these things in our minds, haven't we? It's like... Ahab is over here somewhere with Hitler and Bin Laden and all of those characters. And and yet when we see the standard of God, where do we put ourselves between them and God? Do you know the Bible gives us an answer? It says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you fall short, it doesn't matter how far you fall short, you've missed the mark. Like at the fairgrounds many years ago, I don't know whether Joel and Matthew had a go at this down in uh, Cardiff, but one of those darts games where you have to hit the number 20 to win a prize. Back in my day it was a goldfish. And you know what? I'm a rubbish dartsman. So some of my darts would miss the board and maybe hit the board next door. (laughs) But then maybe every now and again... I might hit the number one next door to the 20. But you know what? Both miss. I didn't get a prize for either of them. Because both of those darts fell short of the target. 
And in the sense with our relationship with God, it doesn't matter if you're Ahab over here, the worst of the worst of the worst, or whether... You know, I'm somewhere around here, but there are still things in my life I'm not... I still make mistakes. I still fail. I've still got bad relationships. We all need Jesus. We all need the one who paid the ultimate price. We all need the one who sacrificed himself upon the cross... So that we could be restored into relationship with the Father again. And you know, once we get to that place, unlike Ahab, find that humility and we humble ourselves and we say sorry for the things that we've done. It doesn't matter what we've been through because of what Jesus has done. The relationship is restored. And you know that strange word, we don't hear it much now, justification. But we can all know what it means. It's just like we've never sinned. (coughs) And it's because of Jesus. You see, God looks at our hearts just as he looked at the heart of Ahab. And they're all a mess. But when Jesus comes in, we humble ourselves before him. We say, God, we're sorry for the things that we've done. He steps in. He has paid the debt. He's paid what we owe. And because of that, we can know eternal life. And it's as simple as turning to Him. In the story of Ahab, I'm sure that stirs up many emotions in us. Did he deserve to be forgiven? But you know, it's not about deserving. It's about accepting. We are forgiven. If we believe, we are forgiven because of what Christ has done for us. And because of that, we are now seated with Him in heavenly places. Amen. Amen. Amen.